Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Who will pay for social care? Meryn Somerset Webb joins me to explain why the Prime Minister's U-turn was the wrong move. If you're struggling to sell a property, we examine evidence of the slowdown in the housing market and the tactics buyers and sellers are now resorting to. And investing in stem cell research, our adventurous investor David Stevenson has been testing the market. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast on personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, and here's what we have this week. It was always going to be a risky strategy to launch a manifesto that appeared to punish loyal, well-heeled elderly voters. But that's exactly what the Conservative Party did last week when it unveiled a radical policy to scrap the social care cap, replacing it, in effect, with a government-sponsored equity release scheme. Of course, a U-turn swiftly followed, but one person who won't be U-turning on her view about the policy is FT Money columnist Marin Somerset-Webb, who joins me on the line now. Welcome to The Money Show. Hi, Claire. How do you know I won't be U-turning? It's all rage, you know? (laughs) Well, how can I put this politely? You're often a lone voice. (laughs) Um, Only at the FT, Only at the FT, with your your pro-Brexit views. But you were one of the few commentators in the whole of the weekend press to come out in favour of that original manifesto suggestion. So Mm. why did you think it was a good idea? Well, I I think that, you know, at some point we have to accept that the state cannot pay for everything. Mm. You know, we know that there isn't a money tree hidden around at number 10 or number 11. So we know that at some point the individual has to step up to the plate and take responsibility for some of the things they they have to pay for. Now, this policy was actually incredibly progressive and also quite generous to quite a lot of people. You know, it moves the minimum level of assets up from 23,000 on to 100. So that's what everybody gets to keep. So anyone who has assets below that never pays a penny in the first place. Everyone who has assets above that would only have paid till they've run down to £100,000. £100,000 is quite a lot of money. So it seems to me that um, this was an an excellent way to go about it. It it solves the problem. It means that everyone gets left with a reasonable amount of assets. It is progressive in that it it takes assets from the well-off before it goes anywhere near uh, the poor. And it does something which almost no other policy appears capable of doing, which is it pulls out some of the equity from the super high house prices that we have in the UK. So people who are living in million pound houses, through no great effort of their own, have house prices quadrupled, will find that that equity gets used to finance their social care. This doesn't seem to me to be a bad thing in any way at all. Mm, Payback, you could say, for the government's quantitative easing programme that boosted the asset prices in the first place. Perhaps so. so. um, Many readers supported your argument. There's a welter of comments online, and you've also had um, many emails and letters 
from yeah. readers, FT readers who are in support. I'm just going to read out a part, part of one here from a reader called Julian. He says, I've listened to the dementia tax nonsense over the last two days, frustrated at the lack of support for the manifesto proposal. Your article did the job perfectly, straightened out the vocabulary, put the issue in its proper context. Others well, you've had were similarly in support. Very much so. And I think one of the things that maddens me so much about the arguments around this is the use of the phrase dementia tax, which mm. I know, you know, sounds very clever and was coined almost immediately after the policy was suggested. But you know, this whole idea that is built up in UK politics that the opposite of a benefit is a tax is absurd. You know, if if you are given cash by the state to pay for something, it is a benefit. If you are not given cash by the state to say, pay for something, it is not a tax. They are not the direct opposite of each other. So the phrase dementia tax, a bit like bedroom taxes, is sort of absolutely maddening in that it has huge political efficacy, but it's just wrong. So I think a lot of our readers, my readers, were, were as maddened as I am by this misuse of the word tax. And there was one very intriguing letter that you got from a lady who liked your column so much, she made you an unusual offer. She did. She said there were a couple of other things she really wanted um, explained in a similar sort of way. And she said if I was able to do that, um, and she's particularly exercised about uh, various uh, allowances for married couples, if I was able to do that, she said she would do all my ironing for a year, which is my kind of offer. A lot of people write in offering me all kinds of things, but let me tell you, ironing's the thing. And finally, are you surprised that the cap has now been put back on the table so suddenly? I'm really disappointed, actually. You know, one, one dares to dream occasionally that you come across a politician who's willing to make unpopular decisions and follow them through for the long-term good of the public finances. So, you know, and I thought maybe we had, we had found that politician in Theresa May, so this very quick U-turn was um, possibly not surprising, but actually really disappointing. Well, thanks very much there to Meryn Somerset-Webb. You can read the column that she wrote all about the social care cap online now, ft.com slash money. Now, the property market. House prices are everyone's favourite topic of conversation, and especially so since the respected Halifax Index showed that average house prices were falling for the first time in nearly five years. So how is all of this playing out in the market? I'm joined by James Pickford, Deputy Money Editor, who's been writing all about this topic in FT Money this week. Welcome, James. So your article this week describes a standoff emerging between home sellers and home buyers, with the latter expecting big discounts. Tell us more. Yes, well, I've been speaking to agents for both buyers and sellers and, and house, housing market uh, researchers. And they're telling me that you know, we know that uh, prices have, have generally slowed down. And in some parts of the country, particularly central London, they've gone into reverse slightly. And, and that means you know, transactions are down. It means that it's a bit more of a buyer's market. But this is a fact that um, they say sellers, some sellers, are reluctant to confront. And so we have this position where buyers are demanding their pound of flesh. They're demanding discounts from prices that sellers in some case, you know, they're still in the sort of mentality of the 2014-2015 prices where it was very much a, a seller's market. And so they're pricing too high for the market. So what we have at the moment, we've had research from Right Move, which says that which looked at the sort of average gap between asking and selling prices for mm. homes above two million because the dream this, this is, and the reality well exactly this yeah. this this does affect more expensive homes it's more of an effect on high price problem yeah because there are it's a thinner market up there and uh, the costs of transacting are higher because of stamp duty and so forth and it found that in the first three months of 2017 properties worth two million or more 
the, the difference between asking and selling price was 8% compared to 3% for properties as a whole. So, and that, that's, that has widened very much since 2014. And if you just look on Rightmove in England and Wales and, and look at the number of properties for sale above a million pounds, it's about 26,000. But then if you look at Land Registry, which registers all the sales that the go through, sales, the actual yeah. sales, in March, and, and to be fair, this figure will be updated as it does, it goes updated as it goes along. But the initial data from March has 500 sales going through for that month. So you can see the disparity. Well, and perhaps expect prices to fall further still. But do you have any top tips for listeners who are perhaps trying to sell their home or thinking about putting it on the market what are your top agent contacts well you? the great the great thing about the market is that if you very quickly know if your asking price is too high because you won't get any viewings so then you face the issue of what do you do do you drop the price and you know people are generally quite reluctant to drop the price because they think it'll somehow taint the property on the market but if you find yourself in that situation you do have to take a leap of faith and drop it to you want to reduce it to a level that brings in a whole new set of potential buyers and and ideally get some competitive bidding going between them and then if you're lucky your price can creep back up again you might see it come up and we're not talking Um, about like lopping off a few thousand and the agents that you're talking to are saying if you lop off you know sort of tens of thousands then that could actually bring in yeah i mean obviously the higher the value of your house the more you have to lop off to make a different you know it's, it's a percentage game but one of the things that has changed in this this market is that people now look for houses online um, mm. in, um on sites like Rightmove or zoopla and they look in certain price bands. So what you should not do is lop a poultry, you know, five grand off your house and expect to get a whole new set of bars. You have to lop off enough so that you go into the next lowest band price band that people search on. And then you will find yourself with a whole new set of eyeballs looking at your property. Fascinating how the online marketplace is changing the physical one. Well, thanks very much there to James Pickford. You can read his full article, It's a Buyer's Market, in the FT Weekend newspaper this Saturday or online from Friday at ft.com slash money. If you're celebrating a recent addition to your family, as a seasoned Money Show listener, you'll probably know all about how to set up a junior ISA to save for their future. But how about storing up your child's stem cells? Joining me to talk about this and other scientific investment vogues is David Stevenson, FT Money's adventurous investor columnist, who's written all about this topic this week. Welcome, David. Hello, Claire. So you're always searching out unusual investment (laughs) angles for us in your column, but this week it's on a very scientific theme. Mm, It is unusual, isn't it? Yes, I mean, I'm always interested in the whole biotech genomics and actually interesting medical equipment revolution. I think that's an interesting area to invest in. And I always write a lot about the kind of obvious biotech, people developing interesting drugs and therapies kind of stuff. And there's some good investment trusts out there, that kind of stuff. But actually, one of the more interesting areas is where what I could call broadly medical equipment or testing or this kind of stuff. It's where you take all the clever genomics and all that kind of stuff and you turn it into something that you can use. So we've seen a lot of talk about testing 
testing, for instance, your DNA testing, that kind of stuff. And <laughs> there have been some ludicrous unicorn valuations of businesses in this area which have all gone catastrophically wrong. So, But medical equipment is an interesting area because it represents an opportunity to actually invest in real companies that are listed on the stock market and they've actually got actual commercial plans. They don't just have a drug that might appear out of nowhere. And stem cells is interesting because stem cells is out there. It's been out there for a while, for decades, actually. And stem cell, you can actually, I mean, it's not what I would personally choose to do, but when you have a baby, you could choose to sample their, their blood cord and, and put it in the in blood bank. And, and then those stem cells could be the basis of some therapeutic treatment at some point in the distant future. And that industry's arrived. Those so, are just generating revenues now. So some listeners might be, frankly, horrified mm. at the prospect of, you know, <laughs> storing blood from mm. an umbilical cord mm. in a blood bank. But in other parts of the world, like Asia, as you've written, it's becoming more Yes, well, I mean, you know, our friends in Asia are much more ahead on the technological curve than we are. And I think also I think it fits in with a more aspirational view in, in lots of parts of Asia, whereby you do everything, frankly, to make sure your kids do really, really well. And if that involves, you know, taking their blood cells, that can work. And it's doing very well in China, for instance. Significant proportions of people in Singapore do it, uh, which is one of the leaders in Southeast Asia in terms of, you know, its consumerism and the way it looks at society. And the biggest listed entrant in this market is is a a Chinese Chinese, The Chinese are actually listed in the US, but it's a Chinese Mm. business, yeah. So I think it's one of those peculiar things where I think a lot of British audiences think, hmm, I'm not sure about that. And I'm in that category, I have to say. I wouldn't if I had the choice. But just as a counter is that the one area in America where apparently it's doing extremely well, a lot of people do this, is New York. You know, the latest thing if you're an investment banker is maybe not just to buy yourself a luxury apartment, but also to get your children's stem cell sampled. So it does happen in Anglo-Saxon countries. And actually, the one country in Europe that does a lot of it, paradoxically, is Greece. You know, don't ask me why. Maybe they know who something. Knew? Yeah, maybe they know something we don't. <laughs> Always learn so much yeah, exactly. reading your mm. columns. So let's look at the science of this. Mm. The FT science correspondent Clive Cookson has written mm. other articles for the FT about how stem cell technology is changing in other ways. Mm. And rather than taking it from umbilical cord blood, mm. which let's face it, is too late for all of us um, <laughs> in the studio, in the future, people might be able to develop stem cells from our actual living cells well yes i mean and one of the businesses that i talk about which is a uk business in there is already looking at getting it from your your teeth you know so that you you know mm-hmm. not, not only do you go to your dentist to fix the many fillings you also maybe they had they take a sample and then they effectively induce the sample on I'm, I'm no scientist on this thing but you they turn them back into stem cells and in fact they're one of the areas that they think would be the biggest potential ultimately long term is in liposuction tell well, me more David. <laughs> tell me more plenty of it in some cases and they might be able to induce it effectively to reset, I suppose, to recess back to its to stem cell situation. Now, it has to be said that that technology is more pioneering. The blood core stuff is out there, already out there. Loads of people doing it, and it's already working with blood-based diseases. So there's nothing pioneering about that. It's there. But absolutely, and one of the issues I suppose you have to look at, if you're a pure blood cell storage company that focuses on encouraging mothers to hand over their cord cells, you may find yourself superseded by dentists doing it or liposuction scientists, surgeons doing it. But, you know, there are other companies, there's even one British company which I mentioned in the article that sort of is origin agnostic and, and is willing to, you know, basically build an insurance product out of it, bizarrely. But seriously, this is quite a big area, you know, so that wherever you get the stem cell from, be it your teeth or whatever it is, that you could have an insurance-based uh, product that would actually cover you for any treatment based on your stem cells. And look, from an English or British perspective, sorry, it all sounds a bit kind of like, yes. But this is where we're going. This is the brave new world that I'm a science fiction fan and you read your science fiction books. And I can tell you now, this has been in every science fiction book for the last 20 years. 
Well, thanks very much there to David Stevenson, of course, FT Money's adventurous investor. You can read his full column about this online now at ft.com slash money. That's all from The Money Show this week. If you've got a story you'd like the team to follow up or even a question to pose to our team of financial experts, get in touch with us. Our email address, money at ft.com, tweet us at ftmoney or comment on our articles online at ft.com slash money. We will be back next Thursday at the usual time. Goodbye. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.